Hello, and uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, uh, Luke chapter 11, so I would encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, and I'd really encourage you to have your Bible open uh, throughout uh, this uh, message. Um, Luke 11, uh, verses 37 through the end of the chapter, uh, verse 54. That's what the scripture reading will be from and what we'll be focusing on for this sermon. So Luke 11, verse 37. This is God's word. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Now let's pray. Our Father, as we come before you and... Uh, put ourselves underneath your word here from Luke chapter 11. We ask for your help that your spirit would come. Open our eyes, open our ears, give us the help that we need to submit our lives under your word, to heed the warnings that our Lord Jesus has for us here. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Our passage begins with a situation that kind of makes all of us shudder in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. Jesus is invited over to the home of a Pharisee for a meal, which 
in itself already makes us nervous in our current moment. But what happens next is what really troubles us. Jesus doesn't wash his hands, which really bothered his Pharisee host, but for us it is just utterly abhorrent in this day and age, isn't it? I mean, if you're like me, you have washed your hands more often in, and in longer duration each time just in this year alone than you have in all of your previous years combined. At least that's what it feels like. But Jesus, the Son of God, did not wash his hands before this meal. But as we'll learn, he had a very good reason for why he didn't. So let's first get to the bottom of this hand-washing controversy here in our passage. First of all, this was in the first century, and people just didn't wash their hands for health and hygiene like we do today. That uh, development didn't come around until the mid-1800s, just a little, little over 170 years ago. And the Pharisees weren't upset that Jesus might spread germs at the dinner table here by not washing his hands. The washing that they practiced and that they were surprised that Jesus didn't was a ceremonial washing. They would just pour a tiny amount of water over their hands to symbolize that they were ceremonial, ceremonially clean or pure before God. It was all a show. It was a symbolic washing. That's all it was. And Jesus was making a point here in front of these Pharisees of not doing it in order to show them what God thought of all their ceremonies and symbolic actions. You see, what Jesus was doing here is showing us that there is a form of religious expression that leads a man or woman away from God. He was making a point to express this danger to the very people who were entrenched in it. He was showing them and warning them that outward actions and rituals can do nothing to make someone right with God. You can dress yourself up in a cloak of righteousness and fully believe that you are right with God <clears throat> when all the while your heart is dark and dirty and wicked before him. Washing one's hands cannot make your heart clean and it is the condition of your heart before God that is of eternal consequence. <clears throat> so our main theme from our passage here in Luke 11, is we are warned against a form of religion that has a cloak of righteousness yet leads to being cursed by Jesus. We are warned against a form of religion that has a cloak of righteousness yet leads to being cursed by Jesus. So Jesus utters six woes or curses here on these religious leaders of his day here, six condemnations he hurls at these proud religious men. Well, but you know, Jesus never condemns or judges anyone, right? I mean, well, that's not what we see here. That's exactly what he was doing here, judging and condemning. And it's good for us to pay attention as to why these men deserved such strong words 
from Jesus. So there were six woes, three, of, three for the Pharisees and then three more for the lawyers or the scribes. And I've grouped them under three main warnings for us in this passage. The first is to beware the folly and danger of merely outward righteousness. Beware the folly and danger of merely outward righteousness. This is verses 37 through verse 44. So Jesus doesn't perform the ceremonial pouring of water over his hands and his Pharisee host is astonished, it says. So Jesus uses this opportunity to challenge the Pharisees in their lifestyle of outward righteousness while on the inside, in their hearts, they are full of greed and wickedness. Jesus says in verse 39. So these are sharp indictments against the Pharisees. The first, of course, greed refers to the taking advantage of others by robbing or plundering them. Uh, Their passion is for financial gain, and they are not personally opposed to making use of underhanded ways at getting what they want. So that's why Jesus also says that they are full of wickedness here in verse 39. These Pharisees were so careful to look good on the outside. They were so meticulous with the attention that they gave toward going through the proper rituals and ceremonies like this washing prior to meals. But Jesus is declaring to them by these words and to us, beware of outward righteousness. A good appearance does not necessarily indicate a pure heart within. They were like dishwashers who worked hard scrubbing and cleansing the outside of the cup, but didn't even touch the inside, which stank of old, rotten, moldy wine. Or using the example that Jesus used in the Gospel of Mark, they were like whitewashed tombs. They look very nice and well-kept on the outside, but inside they are full of death, like rotting corpses. So what is on the inside is far more important than, one, than what one looks like on the outside. God's word to Samuel in 1 Samuel uh, 16 was that the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And David, as he wrote in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. The Lord knows our hearts. He cares what's on the inside of us, what's going on within. And we might fool, our, uh, fool others who see the, the cloaks of righteousness that we try to wear to cover up our evil, sinful hearts, But the Lord knows, the Lord sees, and Jesus is making it clear here that what is needed is a new heart, a new life. Our righteousness does not come from the outside in, you know, doing good works on the outside in order to transform our hearts on the inside, but rather it comes from the inside out, from transformed hearts um, made new by the grace of God And then, of course, that leads to deeds of love for God and for others. In verses 42 through 44, Jesus then denounces the Pharisees' externalism with three woes here. Again, the woes are the opposite of blessings. Rather than Jesus 
blessing these men with peace, prosperity, and good health. He is saying, this attempt to cover your inward wickedness by practicing outward righteousness, it leads to being cursed. The first woe is against their practice of carefully paying attention to tithing the minutest bit of their income, even down to the smallest of herbs, when all the while they are neglecting justice and the love of God there, verse 42. They are giving far more uh, than what they were required to give by the law, but they are not working for the good of their neighbors, especially those who were being oppressed by others. And their labors do not come out of their love for God, but rather a desire to look good in front of others and to receive the praise of men. That's what we see in the next woe there. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. In those days, the synagogues were set up in, in such a way that there were steps or levels along the walls um, uh, of the meeting hall of the, of the uh, synagogues, and the higher the level that you were given to sit on, the more prominent a position you had in the synagogue. So the, so the more others literally then had to look up to you, especially those men who had to gather on the floor of the synagogue. So Jesus calls out the Pharisees for what they really loved here. They had no love for God. They had no love for their poor neighbors, <clears throat> but they did really love being noticed, receiving praise and honor from their fellow Israelites, and, and, and being considered to be leaders in their religion. They loved getting pats on the back. And Jesus warns them, and us, beware. Beware if that desire is in your heart. If it is in your heart, you you best do all you can to put it to death. Avoid this externalism like the plague. What is needed is not external cleansing, but internal transformation. And the third woe we see here, verse 44, woe to you for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. So the third woe for the Pharisees gets back to the fear of being ceremonially unclean. I mentioned earlier that the Jews did their best to keep their graves marked and whitewashed so as to be clearly marked for everyone to see. This was because According to the law, if you came into contact with a tomb, with a grave, especially within seven days of a body being laid to rest in the tomb, you would become ceremonially unclean and and then couldn't participate in synagogue worship or temple worship for a number of days. If, If the graves were unmarked, then there is this danger of becoming unclean without even realizing it, walking over or walking next to a tomb an unmarked tomb, and becoming ceremonially unclean. So Jesus is saying here that the Pharisees were like unmarked graves in that way. They had the appearance of righteousness, but their religious practice and their teaching was actually making others unclean without the others even knowing about it. They were unclean before God because of their greed and wickedness. They were spiritually dead, and all who came into contact with them who were listening to what they had to say, who were following their teaching, were also becoming unclean before God. 
their whole system of externalism was infecting, defiling, and toxic. They were like secret super spreaders of this virus of self-righteousness. And Jesus knew the influence that this group of religious leaders had on others. He was very concerned about that and so sounded the alarm here. We must be careful who we are following. Who are we being influenced by in our Christian practice? We must take care. I mean, Jesus makes it clear. What is most important is the condition of your heart before God. And if your heart is being transformed by his grace and his spirit, well, it will come out in a deep devotion for God and his glory and works of mercy and justice for those in need. If your heart is really being made new by God's grace, you will humbly depend upon the Savior God sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not on how righteous or holy you can make yourself look before others. So those are the the first woes there. Now we come to verses 45 through 52, and uh, we have some more woes that Jesus gives against the scribes or, or lawyers, and so we are to beware the blinding danger of legalism. Beware the blinding danger of legalism here in verses 45 through 52. Verse 45 says that one of the lawyers then spoke up and took offense at what Jesus was saying about the Pharisees. The word here for insult reveals just how they were feeling about what Jesus was saying. They thought that he was being quite Arrogant. I mean, how dare he challenge the Pharisees in this way? How could anyone claim to really know what was in the heart of someone else, much less a whole group of people? I mean, only God knows the heart. And this lawyer or scribe was saying, who does this guy think he is? Which, of course, just reveals how little he, he, he really knew of who Jesus was. And so this this lawyer, this law expert's response to Jesus is, is kind of strong. It, it is a confrontation. And if he was shocked before with what Jesus had said regarding the Pharisees, he certainly was even more offended with the three woes that Jesus used to condemn him and the other scribes. So the first woe uh, that Jesus gives there, verse 46, was for how they taught God's law, which created a burdensome weight upon others, of which they didn't even follow themselves. Look at verse 46. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. These scribes, along with the Pharisees, added to the law of Moses with what they, uh, with what, with what they had called the traditions of the elders. Uh, these were long lists of rules that the, the most careful and conscientious of God's people were to follow in order to make sure they would not break the Sabbath and that they would keep themselves ceremonially clean. And Jesus was condemning them because, well, they were not helping his people to know God and to put their faith in him. Instead, they were pointing people to their own works, their own labor, their own selves. They were teaching the way to follow God is by performing. They believed the law was something they could accomplish on their own and and, and that they had no need to be transformed. And Jesus condemned them for that. 
They weren't helping God's people. They were leading them astray. For God's law was meant to lead them to repentance and to depend upon God's mercy, which culminated in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the law and to save them from their sins. The second woe then in verse 47 was in regards to how they were responding to Jesus himself. Uh, Verse 47 all the way to verse 51. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent, consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation." From the beginning of the Old Testament to the end, wicked people are out to kill and silence God's messengers. And it's still taking place today. As Jesus Jesus mentions here, Cain killed Abel because God accepted Abel's faith-filled worship and not Cain's self-centered works. That was the first murder in the history of the world. And then in the Hebrew canon, the Hebrew Bible, the very last book, would be 2 Chronicles. And in 2 Chronicles 24, the prophet Zechariah is killed, just as Jesus describes here, at the command of King Joash between the altar and the sanctuary in the temple complex because he was proclaiming God's condemnation upon the idolatry of Israel. And now here is Jesus, God's own son. He had been sent from God himself and was preaching and teaching, and like the prophets, he was calling out the sin of the leaders of God's people, and how was he received by them? Much as as the same as the prophets were that, that their forefathers killed. For in just a short time, these religious leaders would be the ones who would scheme against Jesus and get him arrested and eventually condemned and crucified. So Jesus was here referring to the practice in in those days of building monuments to the prophets of old in Israel. The religious leaders did that in, in an attempt to disown any guilt for their deaths themselves. They would build these monuments in an attempt to honor the prophets. It was like saying, you know, to, to all those watching them do this, you know, had we lived in the days of the prophets unlike our fathers, we would have heeded them, we would have listened to them. And of course, the irony was they were living in the days of the Messiah, and yet they weren't listening to him. They were rejecting the very one whom all those prophets were pointing to. Therefore, as Jesus says, their guilt far surpasses the guilt of their fathers. Jesus made the implication here, and it is still true today. They only honored dead prophets, not living ones. Dead prophets couldn't trouble them with their words, as Jesus was doing here. You see, prophets are truth tellers, and people don't appreciate truth tellers especially when they're living under a self-deception, that they're doing all that is necessary to be righteous. 
The last woe that Jesus has for these experts in the law is once again directed at their teaching ministry there in verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You, have, you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Now one of the misconceptions that we make today looking back at God's people in this time in history is thinking that they were so well taught. After all, they, I mean, they, 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 they were, there were many schools for learning the law, and, and uh, there were there were Pharisees here who, who had been learning and growing and teaching one another. There are these scribes that studied the law. The Pharisees were devoted to studying and following the scriptures themselves. And yet, when the Son of God shows up, they don't recognize who he is. So Luke is building to a great revelation in the last chapter of his gospel, in chapter 24. When the Lord Jesus rises from the dead, he will appear to his disciples and he will teach them that the whole of the scriptures, everything written in the law, the Psalms and the prophets were written about him. He was the key of knowledge to the scriptures. The scriptures were pointing to him, the Christ, the Savior King, but these so-called experts in the law didn't recognize who Jesus was, and they sure didn't like what he had to say. Their devotion to their, work, their works-based religion of rituals, of washings, of seeking to, to, to follow all these ceremonies, it blinded them to their need for Jesus Christ, the Savior. And their teaching then kept others from recognizing Christ as well. Now, as a preacher-teacher, who has spent my whole adult life opening up God's word for others from children to saints who are on their last time around the sun, it is frightening to think that I could have ever kept someone from entering into a saving relationship with Jesus by neglecting to teach the truth of God's word. This is a very serious and fearful condemnation that Jesus levels against these men. And we ought to take it seriously ourselves. Are we, by how we live, or how we talk about the Bible, keeping anyone from knowing Jesus or seeing Jesus revealed in the Scriptures? Are we pointing them to him or to ourselves? God have mercy upon us if we don't show how the Scriptures point to Jesus and how knowing Jesus unlocks for us, the meaning of God's word. And lastly, the last two verses of our passage, we have our final warning. Beware that it was the outwardly religious who condemned Jesus. Beware that it was the outwardly religious who condemned Jesus. So here in these last two verses of chapter 11, Luke provides us with the response of the scribes and the Pharisees to Jesus' challenge of their, ex uh, of their externalism and legalism. Did they repent of their false ways? Did they humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and throw themselves upon the mercy of God by listening to his son, by obeying his son? Unfortunately, they didn't. Verse 53, and he went away from there, as he, as he went, went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him 
to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. Now the phrase here, press him hard, is translated in different ways, but it is very strong language which reveals how greatly they hated Jesus for what he had just said to them. The NIV says that they began to oppose him fiercely. And the New American Standard has it as the Pharisees began to be very hostile to him. You see, when proud, self-righteous people are confronted with their sin, when they are shown what they are, they don't respond with humility and repentance. This is how they respond. They get angry. They get defensive and they go on the attack. And again, this wasn't a group of men who, who cared nothing for God or religion. These were re- the religious leaders. Their lives were built upon the outward externalism that Jesus was condemning. As the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips. That is, they draw near outwardly, while their hearts are far from me. The world that the Son of God came into to confront and eventually to suffer and die for our sins is the same world that we live and work in today. Externalism is the way things are done in this world. Looking right is way more valued than being right. What and who you are perceived to be is far more important to people than who they are on the inside. We are tempted to live this way every single day, especially if you pay any attention to social media like Facebook and Instagram. And Jesus gives us a warning here. Friends, he gives a warning here alerting us that 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 false way of living is deadly. Don't follow it. If you don't feel like you're the person you should be, then let that feeling humble you and lead you to believe in and depend fully upon the one who came to fulfill all uh, righteousness for you. Cry out to him for mercy. Repent of your pride, repent of your self-righteousness, and trust in him to do the work of transformation from the inside out within you. Look away from yourself and look to him, and he will cover you with his righteousness. And then point others to him whenever and wherever you can. For the Lord is our salvation. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, um, we recognize that in the world that we live in today, that, that this way of life is just all over the place. We recognize, Lord, our tendencies uh, to try to look a certain way, to try to talk a certain way, to try to do certain things so that we would look to others like we are right with you. Father, help us. Open our eyes to see our need for Jesus, that it is only by his grace 
alone that our hearts can be transformed and that we can have righteousness before you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless for the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.